On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. It's one of the few times that there truly is a win-win-win situation. Employee cooperatives are becoming more popular as a business ownership form. We'll tell you about the benefits. The Christmas shopping season is underway. We'll have an update on how it's going. And in our business profile, we'll reintroduce you to a native Californian who moved to Iowa to maximize his business's potential. This is the Iowa Business Report for the first weekend of December 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. This past spring, Iowa became the 21st state in the country to open an employee ownership center designed to work with businesses that wish to convert to a worker cooperative or ESOP employee stock ownership plan. The Iowa Center for Employee Ownership, or IACEO, is one of the sponsors of a free one-hour webinar on Thursday, December 14th. The event will focus on the basics of employee-owned cooperatives and is open to the public. Stacy Mullinex is a program manager with the IACEO. I asked her to define what an employee-owned cooperative is and how it can benefit both the business and the overall community in which the business operates. So employee-owned cooperatives are also known as worker cooperatives. And what that means is a group of people that work there at the business can get together to buy the company. It can be done at any point in the life of a business, but it also has become popular as a transitional resource, correct? Absolutely, and that's a great point to make. That especially helps out those in the rural areas and the underserved populations. Maybe a business, maybe the owner is trying to get out of the company or exit or retire from the company, and they can't find a buyer for the company. But it's a key piece to that community. Let's say it's a grocery store. Let's say it's a veterinarian or a tire repair shop. They need to be in the community, but yet if they retire, there's nobody that's going to come in because maybe the profits aren't stellar for somebody outside of the community to come in. But yet it brings jobs. There's people that work there. It brings a community together as well. Why can't the employees buy the business? They already know the business. Maybe there's a few skills that they might be missing, but you know what? They can learn those, or you can hire somebody else to do that as well. And you have greater interest in the success of it. If you have a piece of it, if you have an ownership piece, it's not to suggest that workers don't do their best every single day, but there is something different when you actually are an owner. You look at things differently. Absolutely. I remember, you know, fresh out of high school and getting your first place to rent. I can tell you I probably take care of my home a little bit better now that I'm a homeowner than I did when I rented it right out of college. We are at a point in society with longevity, life cycle, etc., where this transition is going to be very important. And as we said, you can convert to this form of ownership at any time, but especially as we talk about transition, This is a pivotal time in terms of forthcoming change, correct? Depending on what stat you look at, 70 to 80 percent of the small businesses that are for sale actually close. They liquidate. That's not good for the community. It's certainly not good for the business owner, and it's not good for the employees. So by keeping the employees in the business, by having a stake in the business, they're able to keep the doors open. And again, when you have so many small businesses that are often started by 
one or two individuals. Mm -hmm. They logically will age out. And what happens to that? And we're at a point where there are so many small businesses. Again, within the next decade, there's going to be potentially a sea change unless people are planning because it's not uncommon for an owner to look and say, well, I don't need to think about a succession plan because I'm going to live forever because they just don't want to think about that. But it is an important part of the life cycle of the business. Yeah, we actually hear that every day. I think 79% of all business owners plan to exit in the 10 years. However, it's always going to be, I'll retire in the next five years. I'll retire in the next five years. And that time never comes. So eventually it gets to the point where they're ready to exit the business, whether it's on their own basis or if some tragedy happens, if there's an illness or a car accident or whatever, and all of a sudden that time is upon them. So it's really important to start thinking about that now so that they're ready to exit whenever that time occurs. And actually the best time to start preparing to exit from the business is today. People often find it odd when a phrase like that is used. I've heard people say the best time to plan for succession of a business is the day you open the door for the business. Because, again, the concept is you might make better or at least different decisions if you have an eye toward the whole life cycle of the business as opposed to the first five years. Understandable that you're worried about not hemorrhaging money in those first years, But if you're looking at a growth pattern and a longer life cycle, it may help make some of those earlier decisions. Absolutely. And it's going to help your growth as well. If you are ready to sell your business at any point, it brings more value to it. So that's an important piece. And let's also think about the other side of it. Let's say you want to expand your building or you need a piece of equipment. If things are in place and things are looking better for the bank, guess what? You're going to get maybe easier terms or you're going to get a loan that maybe you wouldn't have if things were just kind of scattered. There will be a webinar coming up on December 14th that a number of folks are co-sponsoring on the topic of employee-owned cooperatives. Who should especially be interested in being a part of that free webinar? Well, I'm going to say everyone just just because, but specifically, if you are a CPA, an accountant, or an attorney, you might want to take a look at this one. This is just a basic model of the worker cooperative or employee-owned cooperative concept. And as a big bonus, CPE and CLE application has been made for those that might be interested in that. And it is just an hour-long webinar, and it's just the basics. So again, for those in accounting, those who are in law, and often those are individuals who work with businesses on a regular basis and all of a sudden will be asked someday, I think it's time for me to transition in one form or another. This will simply give them the up-to-date information and skill set so they can properly lead the client where they need to go. Absolutely. Employee ownership is a viable option when there isn't always a lot of other options available. Is this becoming more in vogue or more popular either in the Midwest or across the country? It is. It is a trend that is coming across the United States. But we don't have to look that far. If you even look at Wisconsin or Minnesota, there are a lot of worker cooperatives in that area. They just haven't broken into the Iowa base yet. And that's the reason we're reaching out to professionals in this way. I think it's just an awareness of knowing what the model can bring. And that's one of the key functions of the Iowa Center for Employee Ownership, the IACEO, is to help individuals understand what options are out there. This webinar is focusing on one, the employee-owned cooperative, 
but there are a number of other models that fall within this category. Absolutely. So we can talk about ESOPs, we can talk about employee ownership trusts, but even just generally, what about phantom stocks? What about profit sharing? What about SARS? Those are all pieces of employee ownership. As we look at this cooperative model, in the Midwest where we have a lot of agriculture, we're used to cooperatives. We're used to rural electric cooperatives, so it does not necessarily have a bad connotation or name. I imagine in some parts of the country it's a little harder sell, but for those who are familiar with what I'm going to call rural cooperatives, how does the worker cooperative model, how is that similar or different from the other ones we may know about? That is a great point. So the electric or agricultural cooperatives, that's more of a member-based or consumer-based cooperative where the employee-owned or worker cooperative is just that. It's owned by the workers, and it can only be owned by the workers. That said, the workers can own only like 30% or can own 70%. It doesn't have to be completely owned by the workers, but if they are a worker owner, they own a piece of that. They can only own a piece of that while they're a part of the business. Now, the great part about that is they get to share with the profits. So depending on how the uh, bylaws are set up, what will happen is they'll earn their regular wage, at the end of the quarter or the end of the year, or however the bylaws are set up, they'll get a dividend or a patronage based on the profits of the company. So it is a way to not just continue with having a community with a need-based business, but as well as having you know jobs in the area, but it also provides a way to bring up the equity or the wealth building of the employees. One of the things that occurs to me in hearing you talk about it here and in other conversations We talk about employee ownership. Well, within that, there are a variety of different forms. Mm -hmm. And within each form, there are a variety of different ways you can go. So it seems to be about the most flexible way to adapt to a certain business, a certain community, a certain situation that you can find. Because if the alternative is a flat-out sale to somebody from the outside, well, that's got a whole lot of question marks attached to it. And it's a pretty straightforward process. What you're talking about, variety of options to where each one of these is probably custom tailored to the unique situation. It absolutely is. And that's probably one of the biggest things that can be overwhelming. It's a white sheet of paper that you can fill out however you want to fill out. It can be overwhelming to the business owner. Fortunately, we have several resources that we can share. One of them is Drake Law. They can help you out with the model process. Project Equity is also helping us out with this webinar, and they can help out with the process as well as us at Iowa Center for Employee Ownership. Obviously, we can help out as well. So there's a lot of different resources, and what we would do in that situation is we talk to the business owner. As you just stated, there's different ways that we can go with this. But the way that we know is the right way is by meeting the goals of the current business owners. So that's tailored to them. So it fits not just the company, but whatever that business owner's needs are. Because of the flexibility, because of the uniqueness of each situation, it sounds like it's one of those situations where if you do it right, there's benefit all around. Yeah, that is the absolute amazing part about this. It's one of the few times that there truly is a win-win-win situation. It's a win for the business owner because they are able to sell their business. It's a win for the employees because they get to keep their job and build their wealth. And it's a win for the community because the business doors aren't closed and they remain open. Stacy Mullinex is a program manager with the IACEO, the Iowa Center for Employee Ownership. We spoke in Waterloo on Friday, November 17th. 
Learn more about the Center at AdvanceIowa.com and register for the free webinar by going to the Events tab in the IACEO section of the webpage. Still to come, more of us are buying our holiday gifts online. And later, we'll profile a company which wound up in Iowa thanks to a chance meeting. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. What a year it's been for the City of Waterloo. We launched our city-owned Waterloo Fiber, bringing high-speed internet to everyone. We reached a record-breaking year for construction and housing permits, and the 4th Street Bridge Waterloo River Lights experience, plus the newly dedicated 5 Sullivan Brothers Memorial Plaza, put us on the map as veteran-friendly. With 80% of downtown occupied, we invite you to stay and play in our community of opportunity Happy holidays from us to you in the city of Waterloo. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, educating, guiding, advising, and coaching Iowa businesses. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. The Christmas shopping season has officially been underway for just more than a week. This is a longer-than-normal shopping season in two respects. First, Thanksgiving was about as early on the calendar as it could be, meaning more than four weeks of post-Thanksgiving shopping. But many so-called Black Friday specials were also available in stores and online well before Thanksgiving. Adobe Analytics reports that Americans spent $9.8 billion online shopping on Black Friday, That's up 7.5% year-over-year and an all-time record. But even with that record online for the day, some analysts are lowering their overall estimates for the season. For example, T.D. Cohen had forecast an increase of 4-5% from last year, but now they've backed off on that estimate, projecting holiday spending to only be up 2-3%. And even though we were busy making purchases online over the holiday weekend, Cyber Monday still will go down as the biggest online shopping day of the year, a record $12.4 billion in online spending that day alone. That's up about 6% year over year. By the way, all those dollar amounts and records do not take into account inflation. Finally, with Christmas falling on a Monday this year, retailers are anticipating something called Super Saturday, an extra weekend shopping day this year. Coming up, learn about a company that moved to Iowa because the growth potential was greater here. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. It wouldn't be Christmas without Camp Courageous Fruitcakes, and they're now available in stores across Iowa and at campcourageous.org fruitcakes. Camp Courageous Fruitcakes are generously filled with cherries, nuts, pineapple, coconut, and just the right amount of cake batter to hold it all together. Best of all, proceeds go to support Camp Courageous near Monticello, Iowa. For a list of stores or to order online, go to campcourageous.org fruitcakes. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the latest quarterly member survey by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. 
In this week's Business Profile segment, we'll reintroduce you to the story of a company that was started nearly 50 years ago by a California college student. Bob Worson had done electronic assembly work for some companies and decided to start his own business as a way to pay for his last years of school. He called it Panel Components Corporation back then in 1975. We know it today as Interpower Corporation. During its first decade, the company expanded, moving from Berkeley to Santa Rosa, California. Then growth was stifled. Bob Worson explained what happened next in a segment we originally brought you in January of 2020. I really was having a hard time satisfying my customers by buying devices in Europe and reselling them in the United States and Canada. I felt if we could design make our own products, we'd be a lot more successful. But that's a big step. That's a very big step, and you've got a facilities issue now. You've got to have facilities that are really consistent with the kind of manufacturing that's involved in making power cords and cord sets and electrical connectors and things like that. I felt that what I needed was more efficient manufacturing, and I started looking wasn't finding anything that looked like it would work. All of a sudden it hit me. The problem wasn't Santa Rosa, it was California. And uh, I really needed to think bigger. I settled on Iowa and uh, the reason for being in Oskaloosa was a chance meeting with the then chamber executive in uh, the Oskaloosa chamber exec at uh, the National Plastics Exhibition in in, uh, Chicago in 1991. And uh, that exhibition is very large, and if you want to see it all in, let's say, two days of walking, um, and at that point, that was my mindset. I was trying to learn all about plastics because I was going to be using plastics in manufacturing, and I had a lot to learn. And um, so you really got to plan every minute of your time, and I looked at my watch and realized I was running you know, half hour to 45 minutes ahead of my predetermined schedule, and so uh, I saw a sign that said, Iowa, the time is right. I said, oh, I've got enough time. I'll give him five minutes to tell me why the time's right. And I walked up there, and 90 minutes later, I walked away with an armload of literature, and, which I almost never pick up any place. You've got to carry it, after all. And secondly, with the awareness that I could reinvent my company with a move to Iowa, I might add that our customers never even knew we moved. We told them we were going to move, but they didn't realize that we had moved. And uh, three months later, two, three months after we'd finished the move, I started getting calls complaining that you're going to mess the company up and it's going to be a disaster if you move it. It's never been better and things like that. And I I was like, well, are you late on shipments? Or is there, no, no, we're telling you, everything's perfect and you're going to mess it up by moving. I said, well, we moved two months ago. The kind of manufacturing that we're doing is very difficult to do in California. It involves moving a lot of material. Um, It involves dedicated facilities that are very expensive to build in California and to site and, uh, and then if you've read about housing costs, uh, I just read and was really surprised. Uh, housing for a, a single person in Santa Rosa is about $1,500 a month now. How do you hire people that can go to work assembling power cords and cord sets and have a price that, uh, that's low enough that people will buy the product?
it's very difficult to do that. And by being uh, located in the center of America, we were closer to many suppliers, not to all, but to, to many of them. And we were uh, in a purpose-built building, a building that was built specifically for manufacturing. Uh, it was roughly the same size originally as the building in Santa Rosa, but it was organized differently. Uh, I think there's another thing, too, about the workforce. Uh, Northern California especially, and especially Santa Rosa, has what I call a surf's-up mentality. It seemed like um, Fridays and Mondays were really hard days to be fully staffed. Let's put it that way. And I found people uh, here in Iowa, it's not black and white difference, but uh, you know, just shades of difference are much more likely to feel a sense of responsibility to their employer. And uh, that um, has allowed us to be, I think, fairly successful. And more important, one of the things we want to do here is not only to satisfy the customer, this customer expects to be satisfied, but we want to delight the customer with outstanding service. And uh, we're able to do that fairly consistently, but it takes people who really want to make the effort. From a home base in Oskaloosa since 1993, Interpower manufactures power cords used on electrical appliances. No small feat since different standards around the world means as many as 15 different types of power cords needed. They have a customer service office in Ames, a manufacturing facility in Lamoni, and a European subsidiary in the United Kingdom. And all that growth came from a chance meeting at a trade show. Learn more about Bob Worson's company online at interpower.com. We spoke in December 2019 for that segment, which originally aired during one of our very first programs in this series, back in January 2020. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.